Hi, I'm Scott Dresser, your host for OCONUS, The Contractor's Life. Thank you for tuning in to our inaugural episode. My guest today is Greg Hesch. Um, he's re he's uh, former military and uh, still apparently contracting. Uh, so without mudding it up myself, I'm going to introduce Greg Hesch and let him take it. Greg, w welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. How are you doing today, butter? Man, <laughs> I'm doing all right, you know. Uh, we, what do we say? We say every day is a good day if I'm standing, if I'm, if I'm above ground, standing vertical, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I met the objective this morning when I took breath. So, uh, yeah, so this is a great idea, Scott. I really appreciate you putting together this, uh, you know, this blog uh, for CONUS contractors. You know, often we're referred to as shadow soldiers and the shadow forces and stuff, and that's just because it's something that's not, a lot of attention given to which is a good thing don't get me wrong for our own person uh you know own personal safeties our safety of our family uh whatever it may be we do have to keep a pretty good uh, level of opsec you know good security around uh, ourselves our privacy and so forth um that being said you know it it's a good thing also to have the format to speak about our, our experiences and you know i've been thinking about this when you first approached me and we were talking about uh the concept um you know it's very unique for contractors because a lot of us do have what we refer to as the non-disclosure you know so we have to be careful of what we we talk about but at the same time it's very important for us to share with the community of contractors, oversee contractors, uh, the men and women that uh, expatriate to serve their country. And, uh, you know, there is no uh, shortcoming in the patriotism that these people show in order to take their private life and commit it to um, military service, because that's exactly what this is. Uh, and I think everyone can agree to that, even though it, it uh, you know, isn't through the military directly, so on and so forth. Uh, anyone that's ever been in the military can tell you this is uh, pretty much the lifestyle. Granted, it's a little more streamlined. It's not so cumbersome within uh, the command system sometimes. But uh, the responsibilities, the duty, the bearing that we must maintain all those things are absolutely uh, accountable from uh, either a military or law enforcement background and stuff. So it's, it's, I'm really grateful that we have this opportunity. Well, thank you, Greg. Um, yeah, I, and uh, I honestly don't remember what or why or how um, it came to me, but <laughs> I guess it was with conversation with a number of guys um, and it just, who knows how that coalition became what it did, but, yeah. I, anyway, I appreciate hearing that. Uh, so if we can, uh, so that the, the people that are listening, so they understand um, you a little bit, can you, do you mind uh, providing a brief um, um, background on yourself? Not, you know, we don't need to start from childhood. Okay. A brief, but, a brief synopsis of who I am. Yeah. You know, which, yeah. especially like, what did you do before you started contracting? What were you doing? What did you do? What, and, and then what led you to the point where you made that choice? All right. Okay. So this is, this is the story as it goes. Okay. Uh, 
I began out in, oh, having an interest in medicine back in high school. I remember that. And I ended up working as an orderly. I started off with a ski patrol up in a small little town called Los Alamos. And uh, that kind of fostered the uh, interest of medicine. And I, I you know, found a, a knack for it. I found a talent and an interest. Well, after I got out of high school, I decided to go into the military and I was looking for some medical conduit in medical uh, military service. And lo and behold, um, I was introduced to uh, military rescue uh, and the EMS system that the military has set up, specifically in the Air Force. And uh, it was very interesting. Um, did my time in service. I uh, had a very interesting career path. Uh, a lot of um, roller coaster stuff went on. But overall, I was very thankful for the skill set that I had now perfected. Uh, got out of the military, had no idea what the heck I was going to do. Decided to go to Pittsburgh, studied uh, civilian medicine there, not military medicine, civilian medicine. And uh, started working uh, for the city of Pittsburgh in EMS. And uh, did that for a few years, perfected large metropolitan system type stuff and worked for the Department of Health for a while, did some stuff at a burn center, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, long story short, I've always maintained a medical interest. Um, I've always maintained uh, a interest in providing medicine in austere environments. That includes my service with the disaster medical teams nationally and so forth. So 9-11 um, happened. And being the soldier, the airman that I was, um, I felt very obligated to give something to the effort. Uh, my family at the time was very young. Uh, my wife uh, had done her best to keep me out of uh, military and military situations. We had talked about it a couple times and she was like, think of your young family, you know, the, the typical civilian line. Um, which I was, you know, I was driving the bus at the time. So lo and behold, uh, years go by, the events are still unfolding in the world and I still have this itch to go back in and do my part as well as now being in a position where, uh, we needed a, a little better income. So it was a very torrid sale to her, but she finally, uh, took the bitterness with uh, the, the honey. And uh, I went to Iraq. I went uh, back to the Middle East. Hmm. And um, yeah, it was very interesting, you know, and it was a huge sacrifice on the family part. It was, of course, a huge sacrifice, as any contractor knows, on their part uh, to give up your family and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I have a 21-year-old daughter now that I had to leave when she was nine and uh, spend time, you know, three years away from her. And uh, it definitely has some, you know, some uh, chaff to it. That's for sure. Um, yeah, you know, as well as I do. And uh, 
So that's how I got into contracting. Now, you know, having the medical background, it's very unique because I also have a tactical background. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not just uh, some EMT that carries a, a medical bag. I was trained in weapon systems, all kinds of great stuff. And um, so, you know, I was in a unique position. So when I went out there, um, basically went out there to take care of the protective forces, the uh, third world national protective forces under a company, um, set up clinics, did medical care for my guys. And uh, that's how you end up with the term doc. Some people don't understand it. They're like, you don't have an MD behind your name. And I say, yeah, I know. I said, there's MDs that don't have what I do behind my name. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's a badge of honor that we wear proudly um, because of the people that we serve and work for. And that means third world nationals. That means combatants. That means uh, our own folks, right. you know, our, our brothers and sisters out there. Right. So that's kind of the summation. Right. So now you said something about the Air Force. So you were uh, prior Air Force, correct? You are prior yes. Air Force? Yes. Okay. Uh, so it, now was your job, your primary MOS or your primary job in the Air Force, was that as a medic? Yes. That okay. was it was an interesting, and, and we'll just leave it at that. It was an interesting <laughs> call because the adventure uh, – uh, yeah, there's parts of it that I know that, you know, we don't openly talk about right. and there's reasons for that and stuff. And that's, you know, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, the, cause I was thinking about this, you know, how far in detail do you get with stuff? And there's a certain operational, um, protection that we need to put around the stuff like that, but we can talk about, we can talk about the experience. We don't have to give the details. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Uh, so now what year was it that you transitioned from being in the military to contracting? Uh, my first contract was in 2009. So I've been out of the military since uh, 86, 87. Okay. And okay. Um, so that was, a, yeah. so there was a long stretch between the two. There was a long stretch. There right. was a long stretch. But I guess, you know, one of the things that you kind of alluded to in one of our pre-conversations was that uh, perpetual itch. Mm -hmm. Once you have done overseas service, once you have lived in that austere environment, once you have joined the brother and sisterhood of, you know, shadow warriors, warriors, whatever it may be, um, that becomes a very uh, significant part of who you are, your makeup. Right. Right. And yeah, everyone that's ever done it knows that. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things that you're always entertaining the next contract. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And to this day, I say, you know, that's great <laughs> that you have this plan A, but you better have a plan B. And if you can, a C and a D. Yeah, well, so you're always looking and listening, right? As I always tell people, I'll believe it, it's happening as I'm boarding the plane. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, uh, what was that uh, term when wheels are up? Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. So, so, so 2009 was your first contract, correct? Yes. 
Okay, and and if I'm not mistaken, uh, was it was that the year? I think you and I met in 2009, or was that 10? It was. I think it was 2009, Scott. Yeah, that's right. It was. It was 2009, and uh, so we were. Uh, so if anybody's wondering, uh, you and I do know each other. We did work together for a brief yes. time there um, before uh, that contract ended. Um, and we stayed with the same companies, I believe. We just were on different contracts after a time. Is that correct? Um, kind of, yes, maybe. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the company that I originally went out with was directly contracted to the Department of Defense. Okay. So they were hired specifically by the Department of Defense to provide my services. Hmm. Once they transitioned uh, in the SOFA, uh, when they changed powers over, um, that uh, my company was dissolved and I was absorbed by another company hmm. because the role that I was already fulfilling. So okay. it was very, yeah, I went from, Department of St of Defense to Department of State overnight. Oh wow! Okay. Oh, okay. So yeah, I think I do remember. That's right. There was a transition taking place at that time. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now I remember. It's uh, interesting. Okay. So now, how long did you stay with that contract? Once once some of us went on and uh, with the same company but on a different contract, um, you stayed there at that same place. Well, you know, here's the dynamic nature of what I do. Um, given my background, given my uh, medical abilities and so on, um, I become that asset that becomes highly mobile. And it's not like I'm assigned to a specific areas or uh, to a specific base. I'm not under contract to a base. I'm under contract to a company. Okay. So that allows them to shoot me all over the place. Hmm. And that's exactly what happened. I ended up going from, um, you know, the, the operations in um, at uh, Talil and at um, Cedar. Uh, and, you know, going from that – arena up north into to create Kirkuk area and doing some stuff up there with a totally different group. Okay. I mean, same group, different operation altogether. Okay. That whole thing up north was a, an SF operation that was very interesting, very uh, unique. Uh, right. and one of those austere environments that I think contractors, some people think about it. Some people dream about it. And then there's others that live it. Right. <laughs> this is one of those environments. Right. You know, that you just, uh, you, you were going to get shelled. You knew things were, you were in the armpit of uh, the world that was against you. Uh, even though there was a lot of great things that went on there, a lot of great people that we met, locals and so on, there was a lot of bad things going on. Right. So I got uh, launched from there. Ended up closing that uh, forward operation base down. It was actually joint operation because it was both Iraqi and um, Iraqi and uh, U.S. effort. Mm. And then we went from that, and I ended up going up to uh, oh, going to do a PSD. I was then contracted over 
and they said, we want you on a PSD team working at the U.S. Embassy. So I was uh, farmed out to Baghdad and the U.S. Embassy and did a, I was the assistant team leader and medical person on a, a PSD team. And then in the midst of doing that, all of a sudden they call me up and they say, we're sending you up to a sensitive situation up north, hmm. blah, 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 pack your stuff and uh, you'll be on a, a helicopter transport, which, uh, you know, we all know how interesting that is. They fly you to one base, you get off, you go, where's my connection? They look at you, what connection? <laughs> <laughs> so you're right? stuck, you know? Uh, and I went up there and I did time up on the uh, Iraqi-Syrian border with the Peshmerga, uh, and just, that was an experience and a half. Mm. And then back down uh, to Baghdad and uh, more PSD stuff, route Irish, right, route Tampa, that type of stuff. So I got farmed out a lot. It's not like, huh. um, yeah, you know, I know a lot of people that were very static. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You you mentioned uh, because I'm, I, you know, as this as this series goes on, I'll I'll, I'll know better what to not and <laughs> not bring up. And I'm glad you brought up Talil. Um, so. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is just because, uh, sometimes, you know, our listeners are going to want, you know, well, you know, okay, you were in Iraq, but so what, where were you? What did you do when you were there? But, uh, we won't, uh, mention unless you think it's, we should, uh, they act, I think you did, you mentioned Cedar and, uh, but we don't necessarily yeah, need to mention the, 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 the cobs and the fobs. Yeah. Those are all historic now. Okay. okay. Don't know they have any operational significance to them. I would look out maybe Talil, you know, maybe just say Nazaria, you know, okay. uh, you know, uh, time in Nazaria. Right. Right. Uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, give the so, region stuff, but we'll right. probably want to, you know, I don't know how, how sensitive they are still about that area. Right. Now you mentioned when you moved on to the PSD thing uh, for that time before you went up uh, to the uh, border between Iraq and Syria. I think that was the time frame when I was on a different contract with another company. There yes. In uh, that's where I met you and another fellow that that we both know. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Well, we met a couple times. Right. Uh, what was the one night we were at the the FOB? It was in Baghdad itself. Um, we'd met at the front gate. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, well that was, uh, at the time we called it fob shield. Shield. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> um there was a lot of very interesting fobs <laughs> and cobs. Um, you know, and for those that are listening, uh, you know, terms like fob and cob, which they may or may not know, uh, do you mind, uh, just br very briefly telling everybody what is, fob what is that and what is a cob and what's the difference between the two oh yeah sure um so a fob is a forward operational base okay uh and that means it's outstanding by its own little self uh it really doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of support to it it does have some security forces and each fob has a different operational um purpose okay then there's other things like a COB, a combat operation base, which has a larger community to it. 
still may have uh, the varying missions that you would find out on a FOB, but just larger support elements to it. Okay. Then, of course, you get into the bases themselves, and these are large permanent areas that have been in existence and uh, are now being utilized for the purposes of security and so forth. You get into things like a JSS. I was stationed up at a JSS, and that's a joint security site. <laughs> mm. <laughs> also a bit an adventure mm. uh, because it is a shared uh, coalition between you and Iraqis. So your interaction is pretty close. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, things are done quite differently. And then when you get up and you deal with uh, the northern part of Iraq and you get into Kurdistan uh, and you get into the Peshmerga, uh, completely different as well. But um, uh, incredibly loyal, fierce people. Fantastic. You know, yeah. wonderful uh, people, the, the Kurds up there. Um, you know, it's, there's so many little acronyms that we use for everything in the contract world. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, those, the operational status of the base is usually how it's determined. We had a convoy support center where that all we did there is park convoys and protect convoys from um, being, you know, raided mm -hmm. on the high and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a little history behind it. Right. You mentioned uh, joint security. Uh, they had uh, one or two other acronyms, which escaped me at the point at this point. But uh, but essentially it was the same thing. It was a joint operation between uh, nations forces, uh, yes. whether it was Afghanistan or Iraqis and in, in other countries, of course, as well as Americans. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, during that surge time from what, 2009 to. 10 or 11 um you saw a lot more of that and and oh, yeah. and uh, so now i haven't kept up with all those current events even though we both know people that are still working over there in fact you still are or, or occasionally anyway is that correct um you know i do more consulting nowadays i haven't really been off uh, uh oconus you know uh in uh several years i do consulting work uh i've been involved in a couple very interesting projects, um, uh, a few startup things that uh, were quite adventurous. Uh, unfortunately, whether it be um, governmental uh, regulation or governmental interference, a lot of these missions never came to uh, fruition. And when I say governmental, I do not mean only the United States. There's several governments right here that if you do any of this contracting stuff, you learn very quickly that right. the coalition is uh, its own political body. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you can, uh, so now historically speaking, so from that, from there, historically, uh, when you started contracting to the time that you stopped contracting, we know that uh, private security contracting has changed enormously over the years. And probably a lot of people don't realize that because um, they hear what they hear, they read what they read, and they just take it, you know, that's what it is. Or they hear it second or third hand. Um, a, guy, a fellow that I know, we talked uh, a few times about, for example, um, uh, back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, contracting then was wholly different 
than what it is now in terms of rules, regulations, requirements, skill sets. I mean, just everything. Um, yeah. So with that, um, historically, from your perspective, how has that changed in terms of what are the, you know, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions out there about private security contractors. And I mean, they come in all shapes and all sizes, all forms. They have different skill sets, different backgrounds, different history, different everything. Um, yes. So from your perspective, um, for the person that's listening, that's that uh, try and help them out a little bit. What, what is it? What, what's a typical background, typical skill sets? Um, for a private security contractor? I mean, what sets them apart and, and what what gets them in the door and what's gonna make them successful and keep them successful if they can keep their head straight? Yeah, man, those are wonderful questions. Wonderful questions. Um, first of all, uh, the private contractor has to have a vested interest in what's going on in the world. This is not a uh, security job like it would be uh, guarding uh, a mall or a shop someplace. This is uh, for real. This is big time. You have to be able to uh, assess the underpinnings of not only your government, but other government's actions as well, um, simply because that's going to influence how things go in this, this business. You know, back in the 80s, contracting was very different. Contracting at that time was looked at as almost a civilian interaction. There were a few people out in the 80s doing uh, consultation and training. But as far as any secure international security, that was mostly left up to State Department and other agencies. Um, so contracting back then was a little bit different. Come along um, the era where we're dealing with the Middle East. Now we start to see that people that have qualified long-term background in certain specialties dealing with the Middle Eastern cultures uh, are being brought in now as consultants. And these security consultants are more or less driving the development of some of this stuff based upon solely their experience that they've had with these people because we you know the cultures are so different that unless you have someone that is is specifically educated to a culture um there can be some some things that go drastic real quick right so along comes 2011 uh you know, the assault on the nation, and we really need to quickly elevate military numbers. We need to elevate our capability. We need to put the hammer down, uh, if you will, in showing that we are, are serious about stuff. So how best to do that? Well, you bring on the people that are masterful in that. And those are the people that are the retired people that serve have this skill set, have the knowledge of deployment, have all this stuff already under their belt. They're, you know, the leather on the back of their neck already hardened um, simply because they've done it. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I noticed in seeing our troop movements and stuff, you know, that these young kids that were coming in at the time had not really ever dealt with any of this in their lifetime. 
And so they really didn't have the role modeling or the understanding of what was going to be expected of them. Hmm. The stabilizing force that I saw was the older contractors, those uh, people that have served were out of the military, being brought back in as protective forces, so on and so forth, that um, were very stabilizing factor. And it gave the younger people to look up to um, a tanned <laughs> individual in this job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and I say that because you know who was outside because the, the guys that we used to look at, and they'd be in the, the office all day. They were kind of peaked and stuff. And those of us that were out in the sand come in and we were four or five shades darker, you know. Um, but long story short, you know, it has changed. Nowadays, I see it focusing more going back into the diplomatic protection and I see it going back into specialty. So if you have some kind of uh, intelligence specialty, security specialty, blah, 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 then they're interested, interested in you. If you have a medical background, if you have uh, that going for you, uh, they're interested in you. Mm. Um, they're interested in diplomatic approach more nowadays than they were in the early 2000s. You know, right. uh, you look at 2004, 2003, 2004, 2005, uh, things were pretty harsh, you know, right. and they were, they were, it was a different type of contractor. It was truly the shadow warrior, you know, and, and uh, nowadays it's more diplomatic. It's the expectations. You asked a good question in there too. You had multiple questions in that one statement. Yeah, sorry to bomb you with those. <laughs> I'm trying to track. Um, and one of the things you asked is, what is the expectations? What are those things that someone that can enter this business and perpetuate themselves into this? Now, not an easy business to get into. Right. First of all, you have to have a background. Okay. You have to have a background that is going to sell yourself. We do not hire yahoos as contractors. Even though there's some that have come through, most companies nowadays have the luxury of really scrutinizing their folks. Right. And uh, mm -hmm. they're looking for, as I've always put it to my, my contractors, my underlings out there, the folks I worked with, um, adamant professionalism. Mm -hmm. Adamant professionalism. You are there to represent a company that is, first of all, hired you to represent their position and their status with dealing with the United States. So therefore you are just as accountable for your behavior, your actions, your demeanors, all that stuff, both off and on duty, you know, and I've always told young contractors that don't think that you're going out there to the wild west shootout because uh, <laughs> you're not. Uh, if if you think you are, if you you're think you're going to have some degree of recklessness, you're looking at the wrong thing. Right. Because yeah. this is very yeah. As well, you know, Scott. You know, yeah. this is very precise action out there. It comes with diplomatic cost. It comes with the weight of diplomacy. It comes with the weight of things going drastically wrong sometimes. 
and still coming out in a diplomatic stance versus, you know, trying to create some melee out there that will compromise everything. Right. You know, um, it was, yeah. it was about like that though in the early days, right? In the, in, in the early part of what we call the second Gulf war, private security contracting, uh, but they didn't have the support they have now in terms of infrastructure, right? And, and things were different, but I mean, private security contracting in the early part of this second Gulf War after 2000, after September 11th, um, it, it was a different tempo, um, but it had to be and, and, the, and yeah. the people that filled the slots. I mean, so uh, we called it the wild west and, and that was a term that was thrown around because it, it really kind of was, um, but it, the people that filled the, the boots that were on the ground doing the security work then uh, was uh, they had base security guys. They had guys that were out there on the roads as the primary function. Um, in, in your experience, would you say that they were different than the guys that are coming in now, the guys that are still on? I mean, are, are we looking at the same types of people, same skill sets, same mindset, same everything? Uh, great question. <clears throat> I think the skill set is probably um, pretty common right now. I think that you have individuals that uh, are doing their job out there that have uh, a good series of skills, uh, just as well as you did back as, as you said, in the early days of the second Gulf. Um, you know, when this all started out, we had an extraordinary measure of individuals. Now, I would say that the Nature of the business has changed in the fashion that um, nowadays they've they've been doing this long enough to work through the chaff that sometimes got in the way of getting to the wheat in the contract world. The players nowadays are more refined mm. in their actions, their contracts, their dealings. Uh, this is this is both pro and con. I think one of the things that we've seen is a con is that the value, the dollar uh, that was paid to contractors is significantly reduced based upon the comfort level now. Mm. So okay. you, you don't see those big high dollar contracts swinging around too much. <laughs> they're, they're a rarity. I mean, there was a point there where it was viewed as a gold rush. And, and you, you know what? It, it had to be because there was a whole different setting. The environment was completely chaotic. The possibility of being killed or injured was pretty exact. Uh, you were going into a war zone. Nowadays, I think we're more in a diplomatic support role than anything. Um, we're not under full-blown conflict as we were. Uh, even in Afghanistan, Afghanistan has quieted down some. Now that, you know, um, the Taliban is, is at the talking table and, you know, the ISIS has been pretty much defeated. But, you know, Scott, as well as you know, 20 minutes later, the new group's going to pop up. So <laughs> but that's, that's the roller coaster. That's the dynamic. Right. Part. But overall, I think the people nowadays, yeah, they possess the same skill set, maybe even a little more refined. Okay. Now, given... Attitude, given attitude and orientation, because that goes twofold. Your skill set's one thing. Your life experience bringing you to a port or a point in 
doing something like sitting in the desert in 138 degree weather in a Jew uh, for weeks at a time, you know, uh, that's the learning curve that tests the metal right there. Um, right. All those discomfort factors that the people, most people who haven't been there and haven't experienced it, they don't understand. It's uh, right. All those discomfort, discomfort factors. Well, from perhaps your accommodations while you're on the base or the post to what you got to do when you're out there or what you can't do, what you shouldn't do. And you still have to stand there and do your job. Right. Yeah. It's one thing to be in an air conditioned shoe. It's another thing to be in, you know, uh, a haboob in 120 degree, degree weather, you know, life, embrace the suck. That's the right. biggest thing. Embrace <laughs> the suck. And I, I don't know how today's youth and how today's troops um, embrace the suck, but I'm sure that, you know, it's just like any of us. Uh, it's a learning curve. Right. I remember the first time I heard that phrase <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it is, it is something you do. You, you do have to just, I'm not sure I've got to, I'm, I'm going to articulate it properly, but you, you just got to kind of take a deep breath, look at the sky, look at your surroundings and just say, you know what, man, I'm here. I might as well figure out a way, <clears throat> excuse me, figure out a way to enjoy it <clears throat> because I'm going to be here a while. And yeah. this is my life 24 seven. So I better enjoy it. I better get used to it. Yeah. yeah so, very true. Um, so you admit, you said something earlier uh, just a few minutes ago about uh the, the different, you know, you, you're not standing a post at a, at a retail mall in America. Uh, you're not doing, you know, something, you know, what we typically consider private security here in the States. And I'm sure you've had your share of conversations as I have with guys here in the States that want that, you know, they, they state that they would like to do it. Gee, how'd you do it? How'd you get over there? You know, I'd like to do that. And so many of them have this starry eyed notion, um, because they've, again, read, heard, and seen the wrong things. It's like, dude, that's not what it's like. <laughs> uh, so your experiences from your perspective, is as best as you can articulate it, why are somewhere between a lot and most guys that, that have never done anything other than pr what we call standard security, and we can define that uh, for the folks that are listening, uh, and we mean no slam against any of them, uh, but why is it that so many of them really aren't, don't have what it takes and aren't ready to go work overseas? Uh, well, it, that's it's pretty straightforward just in the, in the comfort zone we were just talking about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the comfort zone is one thing. I know a lot of people that had gone over there, done a few couple weeks, um, even with a prior military experience and said this sucks i do not want to be here uh, this is not what i it's about right. i want to be home with my my sweetheart or you know the heartbreak <laughs> thing the and uh it's just the ability for an individual to steal himself just like you were saying you know the the steel of a man is pounded by the irons uh of tribulation mm. and uh, so if we put our, our steel on the anvil and uh, take it to some place, we either make a choice whether or not we're going to get hammered uh, and hardened, or if we're going to say, no, I don't like being hammered, uh, and therefore I'm not going to harden myself to the realities of what I need to do. 
So it's an attitude thing. It's a, and I thought, you know, you know, being a medical officer, um, was in a, u- a unique position to see, um, people psychological effect, you know, they'd come in and they were all hot to go about it. Having, you know, dreams of their time as a Marine or as a soldier or an airman or something like that, get out there, deal with it for a couple of weeks, couple months, one rotation done, done, not what they wanted. So, um, you know, it's the individual. So, yeah. And, 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 I think um, you touched upon it. Uh, there is a big difference between being deployed outside the United States of America as an American soldier, airman, marine, uh, seaman, whatever it is, um, under the auspices of the United States military, and going back over there as a basically a civilian. Uh, yeah, I mean everything is different, um, and you touched upon some of the reasons why. I mean political. Ins- political considerations um yeah you're an american and yes you're a citizen but you're not a soldier anymore you're not a marine anymore um and we're here to support you and we will if your ass gets in the sling we'll you know we'll do what we can to help you out but our primary focus is um our troops and our mission and so oftentimes we are out there on our own yeah oh yeah yeah so and, and i think even to this day you know, <laughs> and you know, and I think one of the things, Scott, is that may be one of the subliminal um, affects of private contracting. That's a very good thing that you bring up, uh, simply because one of the things that you've noticed as a contractor, as well as I've noticed, is there's no VA, there's no uh, support after the contract, there's no. Uh, Subcon or the contractor support groups or blah, 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 you know, and it's interesting. People have talked about them and stuff, but there is no, um, funding. There's no social organization. There's nothing to that degree as, as far as I know. Uh, and you have to be able to be that person. You have to be able to that person to be an, and as corny as it sound, that army of one, remember they were always mm-hmm. saying, I do. Uh, well, you got to be that person. You be you have to be able to steal yourself in your day to day life as well. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to uh, brothers and sisters that I served with over there, and we're having deep talks about the emotional and psychological fallout of uh, trying to return back to quote civilian life when you were a civilian contractor. So there's a right. whole whole different category there as well and that comes about by that personality that you were talking about of the individual that can uh deal with that stuff you know um and in order to do it for several years um one has to be able to really have a a different set of priorities you know Mm. putting in first uh, because there was a lot of people there that couldn't put mission first. There was a lot of people there that had to put comfort first. And it's right. like, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, sure right. would be. Nice. Um, so the individual makeup is, I guess, what allows those people to be that contractor. You know, that even goes back to the guy doing duty at the mall. You know, mm. um, 
some of those guys will go after it with a sense of seriousness. And I know plenty of people out there in security work that look at it as this is, you know, like flipping burgers at McDonald's. And it's like, well, yeah, it's what you make of it. Right. You know, and, and a couple of things that, uh, that probably some people are wondering um, and, and that came to mind when you were talking about that is that, uh, you know, one thing <clears throat> that I try to remind people too is that, yeah, there's an awful lot of prior military guys out there running around as private security contractors. And I said, and there's a reason for that. But there's also former law enforcement guys and people that had neither of those backgrounds, uh, but because they had a particular specialty or they were particularly skilled in a field or an area that made them valuable. And you talked about that earlier about whether it was intelligence um tech whatever it is um because we need them but uh that the the thing that keeps coming up a lot when i'm talking with guys is what you were talking about is there is no support for us the emotional toll that's taken on it in addition to any physical ailments that they may suffer as a result of having worked overseas as a private security contractor especially if you've done it for a number of years, as so many of us had. We did it for several years or more. Um, and you come home, and, you, and especially if you were prior military law enforcement, maybe you had some of those scars that were hidden before, and they do tend to surface. And so we have these issues that we're trying to grapple with and deal with and get integrate back into society. <clears throat> and uh, we are. We're on our own. Like you said, the VA doesn't support us. We can't go there and, and get those claims taken care of if we're not retired and or if uh, uh, we, we've been out of the service too long. Um, so a lot of guys are looking, you know, where where do you think, how can we, uh, what can we do to help get that message out there to say, look, you know, we're the same guys that you were supporting during the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War. Um, why are you not supporting us now? Uh, yeah. Why, why do we not get recognized? Why are we swept under the rug? Well, well, you know, here, here's the first step. Here's the very first step. Blogs like this, putting this out there because you know that there's an ocean of us out there. Right. The Shadow Warrior was one of the largest military forces put together. That Shadow Military that went out there and provided security, provided all kinds of operational support and i mean all kinds of operational support whether it be fueling drones whether it be uh intel whether it be interrogation you name it there's a whole world of people that were employed out there and by bringing this attention and finding that commonality that we can all move towards this is what spawns movement and things this is what looks at that uh you know um unity that has power and clout and that unity then can move things forward but you know no one you you can't expect for these things to happen quickly and here's the thing that is an inhibitor with our community the the private contractor the shadow warrior um we we don't talk about stuff we sit there and we honor this and we go, you know what? Hey, this is what we did. We are, believe it or not, a relatively humble group. There's right. not, 
that go out there chest thumping about what they've done. We've get asked some pretty interesting questions and some things that, you know, we have the common sense to, to edit for ourselves and say, yeah, this is what went on there, but not sit there and, um, you know, uh, compromise uh, the mission, compromise uh, the operation in itself still to this day, you right. know, it's unique. Very, you know, we were just having a little sidebar conversation about OPSEC. Right. Few, you, know, you know, how how far do we go with this? What do we say? Can we mention? <laughs> so, I mean, that's important. And I respect that, deeply respect it. Right. You know, and as well as you know, you know, part of the whole tempering of our steel on the anvil of life is how to deal with a perpetual boredom mm. of being someplace in a combat zone in uh, an area where hours go by with nothing. <laughs> right. And that's the other part of it that, that I, when, when, when I'm, I'm sure you've had those conversations, like, you know, you, you know, you watch movies like guys that are on submarines, you know, if you're watching those old movies where, and, and, and you hear the refrain I've heard from submariners a number of times, which is, you know, days, weeks, months, nothing goes on. And then for one minute, bam, so uh, that's the other part of it is, is maybe it's that steel you're talking about, the, the metal that gets forged and refined. How do you keep that, that edge? How do you stay on the edge and keep yourself aware and not get so terminally bored? Uh, because, I mean, some days, some weeks were, you know, pretty exciting 24-7. And yes, then, then you'd have that downtime, you know, and now what? Well, it's uh, part of that warrior skill set of keeping on your toes, even during rest, you know, right? <laughs> what it is. Right. And if you don't have that, it, you're going to, you're going to wig quickly. You'll right. wig out. Uh, plenty of people do it, you know, <laughs> comical stuff. Right. How many uh, times did you wake up and, and go to work and, and it's like, Hey, where'd he go? Oh, he went home. <laughs> he's like, right. what? That was quick. <laughs> yeah. He quit last night and they put him on a plane. He's home. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, let, let me ask you, um, so is there, in your experience of working overseas as a contractor, is there one or maybe more um, uh, memories or recollections that you have, um, good or bad, that, uh, that you would like to share to the people that are listening um, that to help them understand, maybe give them a, a uh, a small window into what it was like, uh, something that they probably don't normally hear or see, you know, uh, uh, or maybe clarify it for them. So, you know, I'm not asking for the bloody details. <laughs> I don't think anybody really wants to hear them. We don't need to hear it. But I mean, was there any, what specifically uh, a couple of recollections that, because I, I know for me, there's a, there's a, there's a handful, maybe a little bit more than a handful that, that constantly that I'm constantly being reminded of. I don't know why, but I just can't let it go. And then others that it's like, man, I don't remember. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I just don't remember because it was a blur. Uh, uh, so do you have any of those moments that you remember that, that for whatever reason it stays in your mind and you can't shake it that you want? Oh, there's a ton of them. <laughs> okay. A ton of them, especially being in the medical field and having to respond to other people's tragedy. You know, and, and that's what couples things, you know, but I would also say, you know, some of the most fond memories are 
um, of our behavior during our downtime. And when we were, you know, there was no downtime. Let me make that perfectly clear <laughs> for people contracting out there uh, or thinking about it. Uh, even during your rest and relaxation, you have to be on your toes. You know, right. you, you were always ready. Right. Uh, and it really depended where you were in the country and uh, the, the size of the support around you. Um, you know, we were in Nazaria, large air base out there, and uh, things are going fine until I think around two or three o'clock in the afternoon when all of a sudden uh, they decided to launch a Chinese 105 rocket into the gym. And changed uh, <laughs> real quick. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 and it can be surreal. I mean, at the time we deal with it, we just, we just, you know, rely on our training, our experience, um, and to some extent, maybe our instincts. But I mean, we just deal with it and and and, uh, and, and take those what we consider just that's just the way it is over here. Most people go, what you know? I mean, you're in the gym or you, or you're in your hooch and you're sleeping, and stuff's going off around you. Um, what do you do? How do you how do you handle it? So. Um, yeah. Um, so. Well, I've seen, I've, I've seen and also experienced the broad spectrum from, uh, let's see, here's, here's a couple things that went on that definitely stick in my head. Um, being under rocket attack and mortar attack in Baghdad uh, while um, living in the green zone. I was not living on, on the U.S. embassy grounds at that time. Um, my job was such as an assistant team leader that I had to maintain the arsenal for our security team and so on and so forth. So I lived off base in a slum area mm. that was within the walls of Baghdad. So one afternoon, uh, we get nailed. I mean, just all hellfire breaking loose. And that was the first time as I could time the, the mortars of the rockets marching in that I was on a path. And I was like, yep, this is, this is going to be touching down here pretty quick. And that was the first time I actually got down and thought, hmm, you know, I, I should probably shelter myself from flying stuff. Uh, versus other times where being up in uh, Hoija on a, on a joint operation base up there, I mean, you're, you know you're in a war zone when you're up in that area. <laughs> and getting back one night, getting incoming, 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 and just being so tired of it, laying in bed. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can't just reach over and turn it off, can you? <laughs> right. I, I'll just wait until this goes away. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. You said green zone. And, and, and people who've watched movies that have come out, uh, you know, uh, this century, uh, depicting, you know, the various movies that have come out depicting what, you know, mostly uh, military stuff. Uh, but you know, so people have heard of green zone, red zone. Um, can can you shed uh, briefly uh, a, a light on it for people that are listening that maybe don't know the difference between what the green zone really is or was, and what is what did we define or call the red zone? Right. So the green zone, or commonly known operationally as the IZ, the international zone, was a security cordon around a portion of the city. Um, and that housed some major operations, uh, and it was one of those areas that had 
intensified U.S. and U.S. contracted security. Uh, the outer portions of it were guarded by Iraqi nationals, but there was no uh, Iraqi national action taking place inside this portion of the international zone or the green zone. The red zone was everything outside that wall. Right. <laughs> the right. minute you rolled out of there, you know, when we were doing PSDs and we were running Tampa and Irish, route Irish, route Tampa, uh, the minute you rolled out of there, that's when the hair on the back of your neck stood up. It's just <laughs> like, okay, here we go. Cardboard boxes, traffic cones, mm. dead animals, uh, unscrupulous people, all kinds of stuff. So, uh, yeah, who knows, you know. Right, and 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 that and the that that is an interesting facet of it, uh, being over there, uh, as you're traveling around from one base to another or one sector to another, uh, is is you're looking out your windows, whatever you're doing, and uh, you're looking around. And you're saying, you know, these this could otherwise be my neighborhood um, back home, but. And, and that's part of the par problem that uh, we also face as security contractors. And in addition to having to follow the rules of law is they look, you know, what looks innocent might just be innocent, but you never know. And, uh, um, you know, whether it's a traffic, uh, what do you call it? They put up a barricade or a traffic block at, a, at an intersection or they re or they rejigger it. So it's not the same as it was the other day. Uh, all those things come into play and they, and they are real concerns. And, um, yeah, so even just going in and out of the airports, in and out of the bases, um, what do they say, uh, departures and arrivals, right? Yeah. Those are the right. most dangerous times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can, can, yeah. You, can you explain to people why, um, without, going in, without giving away anything, uh, why arrivals and departures are typically the uh, most dangerous aspect of coming and going? Well, arrivals and departures usually, uh, especially departures, I would say, um, yeah, I guess both play almost equal, but there's a sense of a little more chaos, a little more disorganization. The teams at that point, the PSD teams that are transporting people in and out of uh, the international airport, and, uh, the air bases and stuff like that, really have to be um, on their toes. There has to be a regimented approach to this. There has to be an acceptance of extreme patience while searches are done, while things are not overlooked, simply because those two areas, I mean, the area of the airport and some of the other airheads um, are prime targets. And the reason that they're prime targets is usually because they are gonna get the most coverage. They're a highly populated area. It's in an international zone. It's in an international area where uh, just not, you know, Sunnis or Shia are going to be injured, but uh, you could injure a lot of people from varying countries and cultures there. And it has more impact as far as the target. Right. So, uh, so it couple, wasn't just Americans that were targeted. I mean, we were a prime target, uh, we, but no, yeah. it wasn't just us. No, not at all. No, we had people targeted that were all over the place. Um, and interesting because it, we had some targets that were hit that were of extremely low value uh, in my book. 
you know, in, in my understanding of the operations that were going on, low value target, but it still was something that made the news. Mm. It was something that, you know, uh, sent home a message to some, you know, uh, other country, you know, anyone in the coalition. So it wasn't just U.S. that were targeting. Now, I would say that's that wouldn't be an accurate statement at all. Uh, they were the most fun to target because our our response was so dramatic. I think most people appreciate our response more than anyone else's response. You right. know, a couple rounds come in, you'd see those birds go up so quick it'd be ridiculous, <laughs> and loved it. Felt felt really protected in most of the areas that I was in. It's just right. until I got further up north and they were like, well, you're a speed bump. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, speed bump, <laughs> expand. <Right. laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah well, well, but, and I think that harkens to, to, um, you know, the, uh, I wouldn't call it the necessarily the importance that they put on one, one base over another but it probably had a lot to do with just uh, the infrastructure and the practicality of being able to marshal forces there and get them there in time and you know gee you know if we park them up here to help you guys out then we can't uh, do it needs to be done over here yeah but there again that goes back to the reliability of the people on ground at these places you know the right. security right uh, you know we saw it we saw it we saw security forces there that would leak water like a sieve. We hmm. saw other security forces there that would hold water like a three mil trash bag. Right. You know, uh, so it depends on the mission. It depends on the people in charge of the mission. It depends on the seriousness and the nature of the contract. Um, nowadays, I believe the vetting is probably, hopefully, a little more uh, refined. Um, don't get me wrong. I think the vetting was very well when we were, we were out there during our time, but, um, it's People just slipped through the cracks. Yeah, I guess so. I think maybe that may be just something that happens from time to time. It, um, it does, but you know, um, interesting experiences, you know, it's an right. adventure. That's right. one of the drags us into this scott there's right. <laughs> our thirst for adventure our our drive to say i want to live the uncommon i don't want the insurance salesman job showing up in an office nine to five doing my 20 years and then sitting on the lawn sipping lemonade <laughs> right yeah yeah there there is probably an awful lot that goes into it the psychological makeup and you know, uh, your, your learned experiences and, and just who you are as a person deep down inside um, that all goes into the making of, of whether it's a good soldier or a good contractor. Um, yep. Yeah, there, there's an awful lot. And, and like you said earlier, not just because you did doesn't mean you can, just because you did as a military person doesn't mean you're going to be good or you, you're going to uh, want to do it as a contractor. Um, so now what do you have any other uh, interesting experiences that you want to uh, detail for the folks that uh, while you were over there, anything in particular that just stands out? Uh, you know, it's, um, there's all kinds of things. I think the biggest thing overall though is uh, 
the camaraderie, the people that we meet, the people that we work with, the people that you get to know uh, under austere environments and under um, harsh living conditions, all, all the things that are the tribulation portion, that just makes that bond grow tighter and tighter. Right. Uh, we recognized amongst ourselves very quickly that we're a special breed of person. And that's the commonality that I think that brings us together is that we see that, that uh, we are of like mind in mission and duty. And I think that's a, a strong adhesive for the group, you know? You know, that's a good one. Cause I, I remember, uh, you know, cause it's not like there wasn't conflict amongst ourselves sometimes because we're, you know, we're, we're all different personalities and, you know, there's a lot of things that can contribute to that conflict uh, between persons. Um, but one thing that I noticed is, is the professional contractor. Um, at some point, we were able to work through our conflict amongst ourselves um, without, you know, coming to fisticuffs. And uh, we, we finally developed, even if we didn't like the other dude, we finally developed a, a certain professional respect for that person. Uh, because they were able to separate work from personal stuff and they were able to keep it professional and, and get the job done, regardless of how we felt about one another, um, if we didn't like each other. Um, so I think that is another hallmark um, of the kind of person that makes a good contractor or a good soldier. Yeah, very true, very true. You the know, ability to deal with personal relationship and, and conflict uh, you know, is one of those other values that you look for in someone who's going to be contracting or someone that may be interested in it. Um, that's just one of those values that you can't get beyond is that you're going to be working with people uh, of varying backgrounds and varying uh, abilities. Um, we all have to maintain a very specific level of competency. Uh, and you've got to be willing to subject yourself to that and right. say, okay, well, I've got to be as competent as the guy next to me. And that might be driven a little harder than some people are used to working. But right. the reality behind that is um, if you're going to be successful at this, if you're going to do well at it, uh, you will adapt and overcome. You will adhere to the standard. Right. Well, I, and one thing that, that I remember that I think contributes to that too, in terms of mindset is, um, you know, they, you know, they used to say, you know, six on one off 12 hour shifts. Well, <laughs> how often does that really work out? Right. <laughs> well, I said, there is no downtime. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so a lot of interesting things over there and obviously we can't, there's no way we could cover it all. Even if we did this for several hours at a time, but, uh, uh, so Greg, uh, as we come to a close on this, uh, what, so what are you doing now? What, how has your life changed since, uh, you, since you've been home? Uh, what's changed and, uh, what are you doing these days? Oh, good questions. Well, you know, here's, here's the realities behind some of the things that I guess aren't spoken about much in contracting. Um, first of all, uh, you know, being gone for that amount of time and so on, uh, 
especially away from your family with young kids and stuff, you know, it had some fallout. So unfortunately, after I got back, a few years went by and uh, my wife of 27 years and I, uh, 27 years and I divorced. Um, it was kind of interesting because the personality changes that you and I are aware of within ourselves, when we come back, we try to monitor those. We try to keep them in check, uh, whatever we do to survive. And I guess sometimes the, the cost is just so great. So after that, you know, after I got divorced and uh, it was like 2018, um, things have been just rebuilding, mm. uh, developing and stuff. And, uh, you know, for uh, a long time after I got out, I went uh, to work in um, the wildland fire industry and was working specifically with a veterans crew in developing the the veterans crew for the state of New Mexico and uh, bringing that to fruition. Um, and then, you know, realized that that was taking as much time away from family as being a contractor. So it wasn't until after my divorce, I decided, hey, I should probably pay attention to more time with family. <laughs> uh, so I changed my career path. I have the, the luxury of doing that given the, kind of a multifaceted um, capability. And uh, I went back into emergency medicine. Now I'm very happily employed uh, at an emergency room here in, in New Mexico at, at a, a Presbyterian hospital in Santa Fe. And I, I work in the emergency room as a paramedic, but uh, as usual, things have developed a little more beyond that. And I do a lot of the specialty work, a lot of the ordering, uh, um, a bunch of stuff for folks. And so my role has increased there drastically versus just being, um, you know, someone who's attending to people. Hmm. So uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate the growth. I appreciate um, the knowledge. And other than that, you know, still doing everything I've always done. Hmm. Keeping in touch with folks, uh, keeping uh, educated, politically involved, uh, everything that I do. Hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No. Uh, so I was I was going to ask you. Uh, so you know, kind of a final question here. Uh, are you are you happy to be home? Are you glad to be home? Are you glad to have? Let's just you know call quits and uh, stay home and. Uh, be a U.S. citizen again? Ah, great question, my friend. Great question. You know, um, as every contractor will go through, every contractor, you will get home, you will cherish home as being home base. You will go, this is fantastic. I love my country. I love being here. I love the convenience of things, I, all this stuff. But always there will be that underpinning that you will look at in yourself going, there's a degree of discontent sitting still, not being involved in it, not having the uh, challenges of um, austere environment, uh, austerity as a whole, as a lifestyle. Uh, and so we miss it, you know, that's very true. We do miss it. Right. But uh, I love, you know, I love being home now. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'd take a contract in a minute if it was good, <laughs> but I do. 
downtime, you know, I boogered myself up recently. I had a fractured dislocation in my right ankle. So uh, during the coronavirus and the whole nine yards, it's been perfect. So, <laughs> I, Scott. I love life, you know, I just, right. uh, it, um, but I'm always up for another adventure. <laughs> I hear that. Well, Greg, uh, my friend, I want to thank you for uh, being a guest on our inaugural pilot episode here for Oconus, the contractor's life. It's uh, been a wonderful time talking with you about this. And uh, so as we, as we bring this, uh, this episode to a close, uh, again, say thank you very much and uh, uh, hang on the line or I'll call you back when we're done. Yeah, Scott, my pleasure. Um, yeah. Give me a call back. Excellent. All right, All Greg. Right. Thank care, you. Brother. You bet. Bye. Bye.